Welcome to the Legally Bliss podcast. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, dress at the office, balance our families with work, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys and how they've proactively chosen to do career and life differently. The ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms and not what society or big law has prescribed for them. We'll learn from these women how to deeply question the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated to inspire you. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Well, hello there. I would like to welcome everyone to Legally Bliss Conversations and a very warm welcome today to my friend, Lori Gilbertson. Lori is a former New York City sex crimes and organized crime prosecutor, television legal analyst, and entrepreneur. As the owner of Tribeca Blue Consulting, she helps professionals communicate with clarity and confidence in their public speaking, presentations, trial work, and media appearances. Lori is passionate about helping people present their ideas in creative and persuasive ways that engage their audiences. As a former trial lawyer and television legal analyst, she shares insider tips and tricks from her experiences in front of judges, juries, and live television audiences to help her clients get the most out of their presentations and public speaking. Lori works with her clients through group training and one-on-one coaching to develop their personal and professional narratives, craft the hooks that draw their audiences in, and curate the stories that keep them listening and wanting more. This leads to more clarity and confidence in their communications and more attention and success for them and for their businesses. Lori is a graduate of Cornell University and American University Washington College of Law. She traded the big city life for the beauty of Colorado, my favorite places, when she and her family moved to Denver from New York several years ago. You can find her reading in her backyard, running, albeit she says slowly but surely. So we'll have to talk about that. So slowly. (laughs) Hiking in the park or watching a sporting event or dance competition involving her three awesome teenagers. And I love that you said that they were awesome. Um, And again, welcome, Lori. I am so thrilled you're here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. What a heck of a bio. Oh my gosh, that was a bio. That sounded good. I'm like, is that me? I did all that stuff. (laughs) You know, it's so funny because you're not the first person who has said that before. Like, is that me? And I think that when you hear someone else read it back or you know, kind of talk about you, you realize, wow, I've done some pretty rad things. So let's go back to um, the beginning of Lori's radness. You were, in, you decided to go to law school one day. What, why did you decide to go to law school? Well, I grew up um, with 
law in the family. So my dad is an attorney. He's a litigator. He is one of those attorneys, Susie, who absolutely loves the practice of law. He has been a trial attorney for many, many years um, in the intellectual property field. And so he loves to talk about what he does. Sometimes that's great. You know, (laughs) sometimes it goes way over my head. But, you know, so I grew up in this family where, you know, speaking about issues, advocating about them, um, kind of having, you know, arguments, not not heated ones, but arguments uh, were just a way of life. So I, I really kind of grew up enjoying that kind of advocacy. And it when I was in college was kind of deciding between maybe going into journalism, which has so many things in common with with trial law and advocacy, going to law school. And I made the decision to go to law school. And I used to kind of say jokingly, it's because I like to argue. I have refined that to, I like to advocate. Like to advocate. Advocate. Yes. I like that. I loved, you know, I love saying that lawyers are advocates, right? We like advocating for other people. And, you know, one of the reasons I started Legally Bliss, the community was that I I realized that female lawyers, we are really amazing advocates for everyone, but maybe not ourselves sometimes. So we could, we can kind of talk about that later. So you went to law school and I would love to know a little bit about your experience was, was it like the best decision in your life or did you, (laughs) were you like me where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? I have no idea what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I'm probably a bit of an anomaly. I had a fantastic experience in law school. I ended up at the right place with the right professors, the the right people in in my sections and my classes that really enhanced the experience. So I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And you said, you know, your radness started here. I have to say, <laughs> back when I was five, I I don't know if I was rad or not, but I, I wanted to. Be, I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to be an actress. You know, that was my thing. And I think that so many trial lawyers are frustrated actors. And I know that, you know, I never considered going into acting, you know, as a career, but I loved everything about kind of being able to get up on that stage, kind of being able to to play a part in a way. And law gave me this experience of being able to do all that But also having it mean so much, having, you know, that advocacy really work for people. And, you know, what I like to term kind of being able to wear that white hat to go into the trial uh, arena and really feel like I was doing good for people and helping people and helping make their lives a little bit better. So law school really got me thinking about that and what kind of law I wanted to practice. And in my very first day of criminal law class, I was hooked. I had an amazing professor. He was talking about a case. We then, of course, you know, started issue spotting and problem solving. And I thought, I I can do this for a living. Like somebody's going to pay me to do this. This is amazing. The stories, the emotion. I mean, it was um, it was just spellbinding to me. So I knew from that day I wanted to be uh, a trial lawyer in the criminal justice system. And that eventually evolved into to being a prosecutor. Okay, that's really cool. So you weren't super attracted to doing patent litigation. You did something. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not sure if your dad was doing patent litigation. You know, you said IP kind of in general, but patent, yeah, patent. Um, no, no. And I don't have the engineering background. I don't have any of that. That was not my skill set or my strong suit. 
So no, that was, that was never really going to be an option well, for me. It wasn't anything. You know, I mean, <laughs> I honestly think like organized criminal prosecutor sounds so much more interesting than <laughs> patent litigation. And that's coming from an IP attorney. I've done, tra- I'm a trademark, I, I do trademark law, yeah. not, not a lot of, um, enforcement work anymore. But, um, you know, I just think that going into criminal law might have been something that I would have liked as well. So I'm, I'm very intrigued about your story yeah. and you going into it. So you knew pretty, I don't know what year was it that you had your criminal law class? First year. First year. First year of law school. Yeah. You're like, okay, dang, I'm into this. So you, you sell through law school and you had a great experience, which makes me really happy to yeah. hear. Um, and so let's, t- let's talk about w- when you graduated from law school, uh, mm-hmm. were you like ready to take on the world? Did you have a career lined up at that point? Were you stoked yeah. or I'm curious. I, I wanted to be at the district attorney's office in New York city. And I, yeah. And I don't, I, I love New York. I knew I wanted to be there. I knew that was the city I wanted to live in. So I was ready Unfortunately, they weren't quite ready for me yet. So I went through interviewing at all the offices in New York, um, all the various ones, and I would make it, you know, really far in the interview, but ended up not getting offered a position that very first year. And so I, I was crushed. You know, this was kind of the very first thing that I I think I had, um, you know, really trying to make a career out of. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. How can how can they not see it? And how what am I going to do now? So I think I took, I, I traveled a little bit. I took a few weeks to kind of lick my wounds. And then and I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do to make this happen? So I ended up securing at kind of the, the later last minute, um, a, a clerkship. And I ended up securing a, a clerkship with uh, two judges who were just fantastic mentors. And I was so fortunate to be able to do that through, you know, various um, different things just worked out that this position opened. And so I, you know, had been told that if you want to become uh, a prosecutor, having a clerkship is something that can really help. So I did the clerkship. I went the next year and interviewed again and got offered a position and off I went to New York. So, okay. So that worked out, right? Like having that clerkship, like, mm-hmm. even though you weren't like straight out in the DA's office, like having that clerkship, it, it worked out for you. Like, it, I am a, yeah, there was like, yeah, a I'm a, yeah. Oh, exactly. I, I'm a real, uh, firm believer that things happen for a reason for sure. and we can only control so much and it, it has to be that kind of mindset shift, which I certainly didn't feel at, you know, sure. 20, whatever coming out of law school when I didn't get my dream job, but you know, as I've learned over the years, this kind of mindset shift of what am I going to learn from this and how much is that going to push me forward? And I think that takes a little bit of hindsight and, and a little bit of maturity to get there, but yeah. And so it did. And then it, you know, as I said, I, I pretty much walked on air for about 10 years. I was living in my dream city. I was working at my dream job and just had the experience that I had really dreamed of having. It was, it was great. That's awesome. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that experience. You're working in New York, you're um, working in, I guess, sex crimes and the, and organized crime. What can can you tell me like, what was one of your, 
I don't know, like most challenging, like, yeah, most challenging experiences um, during that time, personally or professionally. Oh, goodness. Yeah. You know, when you when you start at the district attorney's office, you know, you you don't start with the most serious cases. Obviously, you need to be trained and you need to learn. So you spent, you know, we spent six months doing intake, meaning the police officers come in, they have the witnesses, you write up the cases, you learn what charges are, you go into, you know, like it used to be night court and you're, you know, it's midnight and you're arraigning people and asking the judge to sub bail and you're learning all that. And so there's that part for about six months and there's criminal court where you're actually doing hearings, trying cases. And, you know, I don't know if people are listening, they won't be able to see this, but I'm holding my hands up for to show like a stack of folders that you would get, you know, a hundred folders. This is your docket for the day. And so I'd have to say like that first year was an eye-opening experience because although I'd done a clinic in law school and I'd been in court and I'd been doing dockets in Maryland um, near where I went to law school for the, the, uh, state's attorney's office there and getting some experience, it was different when it was my own cases. And it was different when I was fully responsible and I was no longer a student attorney. So that was fully eye-opening to me to just see, you know, this wide range of humanity. And when you are in the criminal justice system and prosecuting, it may be, you know, oh, it's just a shoplifting case, or this is just a minor graffiti case. They're, they are major to everybody involved in them. And so I think professionally, that was really my, you know, a real big wake up call to me to say, to really get me, you know, that every single case, no matter what it is, is so important to everyone involved. And it needs to be important to me, no matter what it is, no matter how fast you're going through your docket, no matter how fast you're throwing out plea bargains, no matter any of it, you kind, you really have to remember the importance of what you're doing all the time. So professionally, that was, that was huge. Personally, you know, I was, you know, 25 years old in New York city living my dream job. So I was, you know, I, I think just really starting on my career. So that was also, you know, very formative. Sure. Sure. That's a fun place to live at 25, right? For sure. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you, um, you know, mentioned, you know, these, like, these, all of these cases kind of have a story. And it just made me think about how, like, you know, when you mentioned the shoplifting case, like, you might just think, oh, it's just a shoplifting case, whatever. But there's a, there's someone's business who has been impacted. And then there's also the story of, of the criminal, right? Like, we have to remember that they have stories, too. There's always a history there. Like, how did they get to the yes. point in their life where they had to shoplift or they shot? Do you know what I mean? Like there's always kind of that mm-hmm. personal story. I think there that we forget to look at that those people are humans as well, I, I guess. So mm-hmm. I could see that, that this type of work being, you know, there being a lot of victims on different, on a lot of different sides you know, not just the victims of shoplifting, but you always have to wonder what type, what was the criminal ever a victim at some point in their, their life as well. And, you know, you can't help but think that they probably have been. Well, you know, and as they are definitely rich in nuanced stories, Sure, I would say almost all of them. And, you know, as I kind of moved on from 
those kinds of cases into, you know, being in the special victims unit, doing sex crimes cases, crimes against children, rape cases, crimes against the elderly, all of those things become magnified. Sure. Um, I tried a lot of, you know, domestic violence cases and, you know, what is involved with those is I think magnified even, you know, a hundred times when you, you come to all the emotion that is involved in that. And as a prosecutor, you have a role to play, mm-hmm. you know, you have a role to play, you have a job to do. It is though, you know, you do have so much autonomy, or at least I did and, mm-hmm. and was trusted with it and, and felt very grateful for that to make decisions about cases and to really be guided by doing justice. You know, mm-hmm. we are told on the very first day of uh, orientation as, as being prosecutors that two things, you know, this is the best job you'll ever have. Said. Mm-hmm. And that, that may be true. And <laughs> For a lot of prosecutors and former prosecutors, get us in a bunch of get a bunch of us in a room together over drinks, and like you won't get a word in edgewise because we just yap about old war stories, boring to anybody else. But that's the first thing. The second is, um, you know, your job is not necessarily to prosecute. Your job is not to get a conviction. Your job is to do justice. You have a tremendous responsibility, not just to. Uh, do justice for your particular case, but really to the system as a whole. And so I, I think that a lot of prosecutors uh, can get a really bad rap. I think there are prosecutors all over the country who have made terrible decisions. And you see that in the news all the time and the effects of those decisions as well. But I was really guided by that. And that's what made going to work every day, you know, really, really meaningful. And like you said, what about this defendant? What led them to that? It wasn't really my job necessarily to know that, but my job to the system as a whole in doing justice was to certainly take that into account to whatever any defense attorney brought to me, to whatever um, issues I ever had and wanted to investigate. I had, you know, the full responsibility to do that. And that's what made it such, you know, kind of an amazing job to have. Yeah. I love that you you have to remind yourself that you're guided by doing justice. I almost, I almost feel like that should be the title of this, this show, right? <laughs> so it's so key. So when you were a prosecutor, I mean, these are tough stories that you dealt with. How did you take care of your mental health? And do you have any guidance for, you know, young lawyers who are kind of stepping up into this role in terms of taking care of, of their, of their mental health? You know, I have to say quite candidly, I didn't. It didn't. It wasn't until having left the office many years later that I actually was able to look back and realize that mm. because everything we hear these days about, you know, secondhand trauma, yeah. being aware of your mental health, all of these things, when I was prosecuting, that wasn't really the way it was, right? You know, right. that wasn't something, especially for female attorneys, that wasn't a thing. I mean, things have changed dramatically. Yeah. The office where I used to work now has an all female executive staff where when I worked there, it was all male and it was a very, very different way of working. Yeah. And so it just wasn't, you know, I worked nonstop. I was on duty all the time. We had what was called back in the days, beeper duty, meaning- oh. Yeah, if there was something you were on call and you were on call for as long as the case lasted. And it was like a badge of honor to be up for three days or four days investigating a case. 
I remember one night I was on trial with something and I was sitting in my office at night overlooking kind of the highway and the city and, and just looking out. And I didn't even know what day it was because I had just been there for so yeah. long. Yeah. And yeah. so that was the mentality. And there wasn't this idea of, you know, we are seeing the worst that people do to each other. We have immense responsibility. We have immense pressure in the courtroom every day. And there was no real thought to taking care of yourself, at least structurally, you know, as, as part of an office-wide kind of thing. And it really wasn't out there as much. So, you know, I think for myself to stay healthy, I, you know, I had friends, mm-hmm. we spent time together. I lived in, you know, one of the greatest cities in the world. I was just really always kind of enlivened by that and had so much fun with it. Um, I had people who I could kind of let off steam with and we were all going through the same things and we could do that and be social together and support each other. So I think there was some support um, without really it being a structured thing. Yeah. 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 That's so great that you kind of had that community um, Mm -hmm. to lean into and that you were all there for for each other. So even though there wasn't anything structured at the time that you, it's almost like you instinctively knew that this is what was going to take, like help you take care of your mental health was having these people like the support group around you. Yeah, there was that. And there was also a sense of just like, you just can't take yourself too seriously. Like you might be in court or have a case that's in the news or whatever. And everybody would just make fun of you. You know, they just make fun of you. Like, oh my gosh, you said this or, oh, you said that. Or, you know, there was that. So there was always humor. There was always kind of joking about ourselves and things and just adding in humor to some of these situations that were so traumatic or so gruesome or so terrible that, you know, at some point you look at enough crime scene photos, you start to get a little hardened to it. Mm -hmm. And there was this idea of just kind of keeping each other sane that way so that we were all kind of okay. And then there was also just the support, you know, if you had a big case, people would come and watch your opening. They'd come watch your summation. They'd come watch a, a, you know, an important cross you were doing so that when you finished and you turned around, not knowing if you had done a good job or like, how was this witness for you? You know, they'd all be there giving you the thumbs up. So there was, there was that there's a quite a bit of camaraderie um, because it, it is almost like kind of being in the trenches together. You know, you're just really doing this really hard, emotional, you know, draining work and you're doing it together. So it really, it really bonds you. I wonder if there's more camaraderie in that type of situation than in like a, in like big law or just a law firm environment, right? Because I don't know, I know that there's just a lot of competition, right? Amongst associates. And I'm just sitting here kind of in awe at this story that, you know, you grew up there on cross or, you know, and you turn around and someone gives you a thumbs up. I mean, that's awesome. Like, that's incredible. Like, that's just incredible, like silent support from someone that, you know, I I think that a lot of people sort of miss out on because maybe they get into Mm -hmm. a situation where they're working in a law firm where there's more competition amongst the associates. Yeah. The law firm environment was, was nothing that ever appealed to me. 
uh, I have never worked in a law firm. I go into law firms now and do some training and I have yeah. that kind of outsider yeah. view. Yeah. And, and certainly from, you know, friends and family who work in law firms, I hear all about it and listen to things like your podcast and get to hear even more about it. I mean, a lot of what you hear about big law firms are people leaving. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. It's like, how can I get out of here? Um, right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay, so I'm curious. Okay, so yeah. how long were you in that position? I was um, an assistant district attorney for 10 years. For 10 years. Okay, mm-hmm. so when did you become a television legal analyst? Like, how did that sort of start, I guess, kind of infiltrating mm-hmm. your position? Yeah, well- you know, I'm thinking back to your question about mental health, and I think it all ties together. Yeah. Um, I had thought I'd be a prosecutor forever, career prosecutor. That's what I thought I would do. And about 10 years in, I was sitting at council table and I was picking a jury in a, a real serious armed robbery case. And I thought, I don't want to be doing this anymore. It just hit you? Like, it just, hit, it just you? hit me. I'm You're like, tired. I'm I'm like, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling just not engaged. I mean, I was doing my job. I was doing my job well, but I I wasn't feeling it. I think to do that kind of job, you should be in it. You need to be in it a hundred percent. Everybody deserves that in in everyone involved. So I thought, well, if I can't be a hundred percent, I shouldn't be doing this. But I think a lot of that burnout too comes from not really having ways of taking care of yourself. And and almost discounting, you know, what we're going through and what we're doing, not even just, I mean, the work environment is as stressful as it can be in big law. And then you're also dealing, you know, with all of these emotions and stories and, and, you know, being out at two in the morning, looking at dead bodies and it takes a toll on you. It really does. So uh, I ended up leaving the DA's office something I thought I would never do, but I ended up resigning my position. I moved on and I did some white collar prosecutions. Then I moved on into legal education and started teaching, you know, people how to do litigation and and be trial attorneys and kind of working with some great attorneys, organizing educational programs. And so while I was doing that, I missed the camaraderie. I missed the community. I missed sitting around and talking about these things that I had found so fascinating and so engaging since that first day in criminal law class. And so I needed to find a way to infuse that kind of, as you said, into my life. Yeah. And I happened to like see court TV or something. And I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And I networked my way into a meeting with someone at Court TV and they had me on and I guess I did okay. And they kept having me back and then other people started calling. And this was just my way of like keeping that part alive. I think you did an episode, something about making making what you like about the law work for you or something like that that I was listening to. Yeah. And so I was able to take what I loved, but I, I didn't have the pressure. Nobody was going to jail or not going to jail. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. life was at stake. I didn't have, you know, victims who had been really traumatized, who who certainly required, you know, care. I didn't have something riding on me. And so for me, live television was like relaxing. They did my yeah. hair. They did my yeah, makeup. Yeah, they asked yeah. me questions. I got to talk. And yeah. then like, they took me home in a limo. Like it was lovely. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably got to take like these complex things that you learned and really simplify them for your average consumer. I bet you enjoyed that too, since you've done some teaching. Yep. 
I really did. That's how I started coming into kind of that education aspect of it. I love being able to do that. Just bring all my experience to it and actually explain things that seem so simple to me, but even to lawyers who are maybe in a different field, they don't necessarily understand. And all they know is law and order or CSI or, you know, the latest headlines. So I liked being able to clarify some things and and it was fun and creative and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Have you heard of a YouTuber named Emily D. Baker? She I haven't. She was a I think she was a prosecutor in LA. And she she does like play by plays of kind of culturally interesting cases, right? So like she did the Johnny Depp, Amber, Amber Heard case. Uh-huh. And I was so enthralled and interested and I learned so much. I was like, oh my gosh, I wish like I would have had this as a young lawyer. Cause she just like was saying like, this is why they are doing this. And it was fascinating because there were like thousands of people like watching her live stream of her kind of do this play by play of a case. And I'm like, are people, I mean, I know people are interested in celebrities, right? But like people were really interested in in the case, like the case itself, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, so I love it when people do that, right. Where they do take those complex, what, I I mean, I'm not a litigator. So like the trial work, I'm like, okay, why are they doing this? You know, like, why are they all going to the, you know, why are they all going to the bench? Like what's happening? Oh, it's a sidebar. Like, like, I want to know everything that's going on. Um, but I think that people, there's sort of that need, like people want to be involved in like understanding cases. Um, so being a legal analyst um, on television like that had to have been such a fun and rewarding, rewarding experience for you. It was. And, you know, you talk about people being interested. I mean, there yeah. would be these cases in like random parts of the country and I would go on court TV and we would sit there for two hours and watch the case and yeah. do the play by play. And play-by-play. people yeah. watch that. You yeah. know, people yeah. are really, really into it. And, you know, ultimately the the justice system belongs to everybody. And yeah. the more that people can understand it and be kind of have some like literacy in understanding it a bit, I think the better it is for everyone. And then of course, yes, there is the salaciousness of a celebrity trial that people really get into because sure. you're seeing these people, I think, who are such in control of their lives being put in a situation where they have no control. Yeah. The judge is in charge. The lawyers are doing Very. it. It's this whole yeah. new arena. And then also there are theatrics, you know, there are real theatrics to lots of trials. Also there are really boring parts and people don't necessarily understand. Like when they go for jury duty, some of it might get really boring. Yeah. Yeah. So It's really the lawyer's job to kind of continue telling that story. And that was so much fun about legal analyst work is just to kind of, you know, tell that story and also try to get rid of some real misconceptions that people have about the law or court or how things work. And you mentioned, we talked kind of before, or we didn't talk, but we had emailed before, and you had mentioned we could discuss the importance of the public's understanding of the legal system. And so this seems to be something that's important to you, making sure that the public has (laughs) an understanding of the legal system and being a legal analyst in the capacity that you were probably really helped you facilitate um, you know, the cons- just the general consuming public mm-hmm. be able to understand it and comprehend it a little bit better. 
Yeah. And and I'd love to do some more of that. I love what you're saying about this woman on YouTube and doing something a little more long form like that. I think a lot of legal analyst stuff sometimes can really get into these sound bites and you can learn some stuff from sound bites and you have to learn as an analyst to do that. But some of these kind of more long form discussions, I think are really what can enhance that for people. And people, like you said, people are interested. Like they want to know. Yeah, you. Yeah, again, her name is Emily D. Baker. Um, oh, I'm so gonna I look. Don't that up. think you can miss her. Like once you find her, she's <laughs> like I said, she was in L.A. and now she lives in Tennessee, which is <laughs> random. <laughs> and now it's like this YouTube channel. Um, but I was kind of glued to her. Like she's doing um, the Murdoch case right now, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in that one, but I was really interested in, in the defamation case of you know the Amber Heard and mm-hmm. John Depp, and so. I paid attention to that one, but she's usually doing them that are culture, you know, like I said, you know, celebrity kind of cases mm-hmm. that people get interested in. So definitely check her out. Um, I would love to oh, see you on YouTube of your own. That would be really cool yes. for you to do that. Um, but I want to move on just a little bit in, in your career mm-hmm. because you are also an entrepreneur and I love my fellow female lawyer entrepreneurs. You're my favorite. So. <laughs> I'm curious. Hey, I, I have to know about Tribeca Consulting, like how yes. your business came about. Like, what was the inspiration for that, and 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 what you do? Yeah, well, it it came about uh, in a. I would love to say it was really mindful, really planned out. It was not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I do as part of it is I'm a. a public speaking and presentation skills coach and trainer and speaker. So basically everything that I learned in the courtroom for 10 years that I learned on television, that I learned doing legal education, I bring to my clients because I, I, in looking at my career, there's this narrative of storytelling Mm -hmm. of really helping people tell their stories well so that they get the results that they want. And so I've woven that thread into what I do now. So I don't know, Susie, if you always thought you'd kind of be an entrepreneur I never in a million years thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be a lifelong prosecutor. Yeah. So it came about as part of a life change. Um, My husband was offered a job in Denver and it was great opportunity. And I was ready for something new. And we had three little kids at the time in elementary school. So it was kind of a good time to maybe make a move. We thought this would be a new adventure. And we moved to Denver. And so I took a little time to kind of get us settled uh, it was the first time I really hadn't kind of worked besides maternity leaves yeah. um, for since I was 15. I took a little step back and just thought I'm going to take a little bit of time, get a settled, figure out what's next. So I got my license in Colorado, still licensed to practice in New York, started going on interviews and networking and talking to people and realizing like I did not want to practice law anymore. I didn't want to go back to being a prosecutor. I didn't want to practice law anymore. And probably like a lot of of female lawyers at some point when you're maybe ready to do something different, that transition was so tough because I had no idea what was I going to do. You know, I had had my dream job. I'd been doing other things I liked, but like, what was that next step? And after just going through a lot of things, I couldn't find what I wanted. So I figured I'm going to create it. Mm. And what are the skills that I have? What am I passionate about doing that I want to be able to put all this work in? And then when you come down to it, like, 
what are people actually going to pay me to do? Right. As an entrepreneur, you have, right. You have to think like what, you know, ultimately you, you start getting into the real thoughts of like, what problems do people have and how can I solve them? But at that point, I was just like, what is a consulting business? What does it mean to be an entrepreneur? I literally took a course that was like consulting 101 to like learn, like, what do you even do? I mean, I had been a lawyer for so long in the practice of law. I knew nothing about business. And um, so I decided to launch Tribeca Blue. I named it Tribeca for the neighborhood I used to live in, in New York, which I loved. And, And just that feel of kind of being open and modern and new and kind of creative and innovative and just not the typical way things are done. So that's what it evokes for me. And if you look on my website, I've got kind of all the New York City shots and the Tribeca shots. And I just want to evoke that feeling. And then blue, because I think Tribeca Consulting was taken. So I I needed another word in there. So there you go. That's so So was. I was because I was going to ask you, how did you come up with the name Tribeca Blue? And I had a feeling, of course, that Tribeca, you know, I was like, maybe she lived in Tribeca. I I know it's a, you know, an area in New York. but yeah, you know, as a trademark lawyer, I do like to know uh, origin stories of names a lot of times. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I'm like, did you just read my mind? Because I was going to ask you like how you came up with the name. Yep. <laughs> my That's how. I yeah. mean, I was doing the search to see how yeah. I could register it and register the LLC and that was taken. And okay. so I had to throw something else in there. Okay. And um, so I started it and I thought, well, I'll try this out and yeah. see how this goes. And here we are, you know, I've taken some twists and turns. I left for a little bit and, and was the executive director of a nonprofit actually working with legal entrepreneurs. So that was, that was really great and, and lots of fun to help launch that and kind of a part of my startup journey. And now I'm kind of really back in it full time. And so, so here I am and I work, I, I thought I would work with lawyers mm-hmm. and I'm finding I don't, I work with lawyers in a very specific way. Uh, and kind of, you know, like we're saying, you, I kind of like to keep my hand in the trial stuff. So I do some trial consulting and some trial coaching and that's really cool. And some teaching with that. But other than that work with lots of entrepreneurs and I have to tell you too, I love working with female entrepreneurs too. It is so much fun. Yeah. So who are your ideal clients? They're not necessarily, necessarily lawyers. Mm -hmm. Is it, would it, would you say it's female entrepreneurs or are, you know, are you still kind of waiting through that? Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty industry agnostic. So I, I do a lot of media training for people who want to go on podcasts, want to go on video, want to really get their stories out there. And then I also do, you know, a little bit of training with people who are pitching, you know, starting to pitch for, for funds and that kind of thing. And then also just that regular kind of communication in the workplace. You know, how do you get up in a meeting? How do you present when you need to? How do you, you know, people who want to give TED Talks and be on a bigger stage, how do you do that? So my ideal client is someone who, first of all, is just willing to do the work. Because public speaking, presenting, communication, this is not something you read in a book and you just get better. (laughs) I've, you I have to do a, it, unfortunately, or fortunately. Right. You have to yeah. do it. Yeah. When I was a trial lawyer, we were told you have to do at least 10 trials until you even start to feel comfortable and until we can really try, 
call you even a trial lawyer. And it was oh so God. true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't until like 50 trials in that I actually felt like, okay, this is comfortable. I know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, first of all, someone who's willing to do the work because I don't want people to make an investment of time and energy if they're not really willing to do the work to see the results right. and, you know, get what they want out sure, of it. So sure. you got to be ready to do that. Yeah. And then um, people are, you know, real, really open to being kind of creative and innovative and looking at their communication in a, in a new way yeah. and doing things a little different and stepping into it. And then, you know, really everybody can benefit from communi- good communication, but the people who I work with are the ones that are really stepping into those situations. Um, I work with a lot of founders who are starting to go on podcasts because as you know, it's a fantastic thing for your business, right? Yeah, It's wonderful. Yeah. So a lot of startup founders aren't necessarily that comfortable telling their story on podcasts. They're not quite ready yet because they've been working so hard at the company and they kind of have to put their, you know, put their head up and start step back a little bit from all the details that they're usually in and start thinking about what the bigger story is. So I work with a lot of people doing that. And then people who are stepping into bigger roles, maybe they got a promotion and now they're leading more meetings. Maybe they just want to kind of step into a bigger place in their career. So people who are really starting to have these opportunities. And then also people who are really starting to use public speaking as a way to push their business and their brand forward. So they're really out there maybe with a PR company and they're starting to get lots of speaking engagements or they want to do a TED talk and craft that. I also, that's another ideal client for me. There is, um, you know, it is really, really fun for me to kind of take that vision, take somebody's idea of like, what is my keynote talk going to be and work together with the content, you know, really get their voice and their story out there and then give them kind of all the delivery techniques that's going to just make it shine and stand out. And kind of like you say, working with female entrepreneurs to see clients who come in initially really, really nervous, who don't want to put themselves out there to see them like step into that confidence. Because ultimately it's so much about the confidence of putting yourself and your story out there to see them step into it in their own unique way is so incredibly fulfilling. And when I was a prosecutor, I always thought like, I just want to make people's lives a little bit better with what I can do. They're already in terrible situations. What can I do? And with what I do now, even though it's so different, I still kind of think like, how am how am I making things a little bit better for them? And then they go make things a little bit better for other people. And then it's just yeah. this ripple effect. So I love to see that. I love that. I love that. So it's like, it started very organically. And the other thing I love about your yes. story is, you know, you looked at, you were like thinking about journalism or law school. Um, so like inside of you, you like to tell stories, right? Like I can tell like, and you like to help other people tell stories. So that little seed inside of you, even though like you became a prosecutor, you know, you did all these different things like that, everything kind of ties together for what you're doing now. So I think that people really need to think about whenever they're thinking about maybe a career transition that, you know, look at like what it, what really drove you Maybe even when you were younger, did you think about doing something kind of different? But at the, because at the end of the day, there's always that little, like that little seed somewhere. And you're obviously someone who, who loves to teach, you love to tell stories and you're getting to do that now because you help other people tell their stories, their business stories, or even their personal stories. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to be mindful of your time. We're kind of running close to it. And I, I, the last thing I really want to ask you, um, Lori, is what is next for you and Tribeca Blue? I am really excited about just continuing to grow the business. Um, you know, my little elementary school kids are now all teenagers. And as awesome much ones. as I want to, yeah, what's that? It's yeah, awesome ones. Awesome ones. And awesome teenagers. So <laughs> <laughs> as much as as much as I want to be with them, they are teenagers. They don't always want to be with they're me. Not so anymore, sorry. No, they're not. <laughs> I'm hoping they'll come back around sometime. One of these days. So, you know, I'm really excited with Tribeca Blue to just start really expanding. Um, I have in starting the business, you know, really relied on kind of my network and referrals and shied away a little bit from putting my myself out yeah, there. Yeah. More. So that is what I'm doing. And I think over the past year or so, you know, I started going on podcasts, which I am so happy you invited me on. I love this conversation. And so fun, yeah. um, I think podcasts are amazing. So I'm starting to do that. I've actually thought of starting one myself. So maybe I'm going to have to talk with you about all of that. Yeah. And then there are some really interesting things coming out, interesting technologies that allow me to work with people on their own time. They don't necessarily have to carve out, you know, an hour necessarily in the middle of their work day. They can send me something on video. I can send yeah, them back yeah. feedback. There's some amazing AI tools, you know, and I am so not technologically super proficient, but I have some incredible AI tools that I work with where, you know, it's going to pick out your filler words. It's going to mm -hmm. let me tell you at each part of something where things, this is working great. This isn't working great. It's just another tool, another sense right. of data yeah. for people. And that helps people get comfortable too. So, sure. you know, that I'm trying to find ways that can really get people thinking about improving their communication um, with little, little steps. Mm -hmm. you know, until they're yeah. ready to take bigger steps. So that's a little bit of what's next. And I'm really happy that you've had me on to, to come talk about it. Yeah, I have loved having you on. And I think, Lori, I want to see you on your own TED Talk stage. So <laughs> I'm just putting that out in the universe, okay? No pressure. Where can people find you? You can find me uh, at my website. It's TribecaBlueConsulting.com. And you can contact me directly from there. I'm also on LinkedIn at Lori Gilbertson. And you can find me there too. I'd love to connect and let me know that you heard me on Susie's podcast. That would be awesome. Awesome. Lori, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I've loved digging into your story and learning more about you. And I'm so excited for you and for Tribeca Blue Consulting to see where you're going to go over the next few years with it. I'm sure I'll be stalking you mm -hmm. on LinkedIn and also <laughs> any social media that you're on as I can continue to, to see your business flourish because I love seeing uh, female entre entrepreneurs just do amazing things with their businesses. I'm, I'm really excited to see what's next for you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for all that you're doing for female lawyers, for people who are going through the difficult period of a career transition, it, it can be really hard. And thank yeah. you for the community you're creating that's giving support to women. It's amazing. My pleasure. I've loved it. Thank you so much, Laura. You have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Bye. 
Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Blissed. If you love listening to this episode as much as we love producing it for you, be sure to share this episode with two or three female attorneys who inspire you. And of course, be sure to find me on Instagram. Just follow Susie Hickson. That's S-U-Z-I-H-I-X-O-N. I'll see you next time.